Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and if you've been following automotive news lately, you're probably hearing a lot about government-mandated electric vehicle production target dates. Now, it varies by location, but in some places, they're talking about halting the sale of gasoline or internal combustion engine cars and trucks completely by the year 2040. Others, like Europe and California, are targeting 2035, and at least one U.S. state is targeting 2030 as the last year when you can buy a gasoline-powered car or truck within that state's borders. Now, does this all sound confusing and maybe a little too soon? Well, I think so. So today we're going to dig into those target dates, talk about the problems that lie ahead for electric vehicle adoption in the U.S., and how they might affect you. And if you aren't sure whether you want an electric vehicle or not, you're not alone. But if you're considering getting an electric vehicle sooner than later, I'll give you some ideas on how to dip your toe into the EV waters without getting in over your head. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. So if you haven't felt the push to buy an EV or electric vehicle yet, you might sooner than later because governments around the world are pushing manufacturers to switch from building mostly gas-powered vehicles to producing mostly or only electric-powered vehicles as soon as possible. And it's that as soon as possible that varies by location. And to do this, there will have to be a series of carrots and sticks employed to motivate or mandate action. In the U.S., the current carrot for consumers comes in the form of a $7,500 tax credit if you qualify and the car you're buying qualifies. But for manufacturers, it appears to be all stick at the moment. For example, the Biden administration recently introduced new, more strict fuel economy standards that will push car makers to have at least half of their vehicles sold be electric vehicles by the year 2030. And a second, more recent update raises exhaust emission standards to a point that almost guarantees that about two-thirds of all new vehicles sold in the U.S. by 2032 would have to be electric. And while this is not a ban of gas-powered vehicles, especially vehicles you already own, some states are actually planning to ban new gas vehicles from being sold by a certain date. For example, California and New Jersey won't allow any more new ICE or internal combustion engine cars to be sold in their states after 2035. And Washington state has gone even further, targeting 2030 as the last year that state will allow the sale of internal combustion engine vehicles within its border. Now again, to be clear, owning a gas-powered vehicle won't be illegal by those dates, and you'll still be able to buy used gas-powered vehicles, but buying a new one will no longer be an option in the states where they are prohibited. So keep that in mind. And if you think about it for a second, you really don't need to be a Harvard-educated economist to figure out what's going to happen next. Where new gas vehicles are outlawed through regulation, the cost of used internal combustion engine vehicles, you know, typical gas and diesel-powered cars and trucks, will rise dramatically. As in, they could become really expensive. Now, to get around that, people in states that have banned the sale of new gas vehicles will just go elsewhere. They'll go to other states. You know, one state over, two states over, assuming that those states don't have the same restrictions. And then they'll buy new or even used gas-powered vehicles. Also, you'll see car dealers jumping on the profit bandwagon by bringing in used cars from elsewhere to feed the local need. That's going to be a thing. 
and I don't think people are really thinking this through. And really, the losers in all this are going to be the people at the lower end of the economic scale who have older gas-powered vehicles that need to be replaced. Now, if they can't afford a new electric vehicle, or even a used electric vehicle with enough range and fast charge capability to be truly useful for their lifestyle, then they're going to be forced to either keep driving their old gas engine car and making repairs and, you know, kind of staying after that, or they'll have to pay artificially inflated prices for a newer yet still used gas vehicle from a neighboring state without the EV mandates. Either way, they're going to end up paying more money for their next car, whether it's used, new, gas, or electric. Now, to be clear, I'm in favor of clean air and high fuel economy standards, and it's obvious that in spite of the ever-tightening government fuel economy and emission standards here in the U.S., the performance of internal combustion engine cars has continued to increase, and we're now in sort of a performance renaissance, where 500-horsepower sports cars are common, A 1,025-horsepower muscle car exists in the form of the Dodge Challenger SRT Demon 170 and a street-legal Bugatti Chiron Supersport 300 Plus with 1,578 horsepower can hit more than 300 miles per hour and still be daily drivable. Now, this is, of course, assuming you have the $4 million-plus needed to buy one. I do not. Now, in many ways, using electric-powered drivetrains could actually lead to even more performance potential. Electric motors have instantaneous torque at virtually zero RPM, and they can get by with less complicated transmissions, potentially meaning less drivetrain losses. But with that said, it's not so much the idea of using electricity and batteries to power cars that concerns me. It's really the timing of switching from gas to all-electric. And people in the industry who know a lot more about the reality of what it will take for manufacturers and suppliers to switch from gas to electric propulsion are concerned as well. In a 2022 Global Automotive Outlook Manufacturing Survey commissioned by ABB Robotics and industry publication Automotive Manufacturing Solutions found that nearly two-thirds, or about 59% of respondents, believe the shift to pure electric vehicle production is not achievable within the current legislative timelines. And those are the timelines between 2030 and 2040. And that survey included close to 600 global industry experts. These were vehicle manufacturers, supply chain members, all levels of management, engineering, and other key professionals throughout the automotive world. So it's not like these people didn't know what's going on. And some of the issues they cited were things like ongoing supply chain shortages, specific labor skill shortages on the manufacturing side, and the increasing material and component costs of electric vehicles. So let's dig into that a little bit deeper and talk about some of the specific reasons why it may not be achievable to meet these electric vehicle target dates between 2030 and 2040. Let's start with just the electric vehicles themselves. Now, until recently, there were not that many EVs to choose from. That said, more EVs are being introduced every day. There's quite a few more on the market now. But it'll take a few years before those electric vehicles that were purchased new get into the used side of the market. So the used EV market really isn't that robust yet. Also, electric vehicle prices are really high overall compared to gas vehicles. Last year, the average price of an electric vehicle was around $65,000. This year, there's been some price reductions. Tesla's dropped their prices substantially on a few cars, which has prompted other manufacturers to drop their prices as well. And I'd say that electric vehicle prices are probably, on average, 
between sixty and $62,000 now. And of course, if your car qualifies for one of the tax incentives, that can be reduced by up to $7,500 as well. And depending on where you live, you may also have some local state tax incentives to purchase an electric vehicle. Now, those incentives help, but they only offset the high price. They don't make EVs really affordable to the average person. And another problem, current EV adoption rates, while they are going up, they're not growing at a rate to meet the 2035 to 2040 target dates. Electric vehicles will have to be purchased at a much higher adoption rate to meet those deadlines. Now let's talk about the issues with batteries. So the range for lower-end models is still limited, right? Now you've got some high-end models that supposedly can go 500 miles, like a Lucid Air. But you're going to pay $130,000, $140,000 on something like that. It's going to be expensive. So again, it's out of reach of most people. A lot of the less expensive models, real-world range, is probably more like 100 to 120 miles, which doesn't quite cut it for a lot of people. And when it comes to batteries, there's also the shortage of raw materials. So the Chinese are way ahead of the U.S. in terms of switching over to electric vehicles, and their government has tied up a lot of the access to the raw materials needed to make batteries. Now, it doesn't mean that the U.S. can't find other sources of raw materials, but it will be difficult. And there's also the difficulty of adapting to a new battery supply chain. Creating a whole new supply chain, creating factories to build these batteries, it's not easy. And there's going to be high levels of investment required by automakers and suppliers to do this. You also have the issue of retraining workforces and the cost of labor to build these batteries. Where is it going to come from? Well, it's going to take time to make all that happen. It's going to take money and investment to make all that happen. You can't just put a date on it, necessarily, and have everything work out. Now, it's good to have a target, but I think they need to be a little bit more realistic, certainly on the 2030 date. Now, the next issue is infrastructure. There is a big lack of charging stations available. Now, if you happen to own a Tesla, you're fortunate because you can take advantage of the supercharger network that Tesla has built out for their cars. And Tesla cars can also go to just the regular charge stations that are located around the country. But if you don't have a Tesla, you can't take advantage of a supercharger. Your car won't charge with that. And there's inconsistency in terms of charge availability with the existing network of charging stations. It's kind of a mishmash. It's actually kind of a joke. For example, in a recent study last year conducted by researchers from UC Berkeley and a climate advocacy group called Cool the Earth, they went to San Francisco in the Bay Area, and they tested every single fast-charging station and found that more than 25%, more than a quarter of the 657 charging stations, didn't function during their test. Now imagine if one out of four gas stations didn't have gas or the pumps didn't work. That's the problem they were finding. And you could pull up to a charging station and it's got two bays to charge in, and there's a car in one slot, and the one next to it doesn't work. Guess what? You're going to wait. And it might be two, three hours before the car that's parked there, and the one that does work, is actually charged up. <laughs> Some people, you know, etiquette-wise, will just park and go away for a couple of hours, and you're just stuck there. And if there's not another charging station nearby, you're not going to be a happy camper. So this anxiety thing isn't just in your head, it's real. There's times that you're not going to be able to find a charging station currently. Now, there's a big effort underway to build more charging stations, but it's going to take time. There will be issues that come up, so keep that in mind. And then along those lines, we have this lack of grid capacity. 
Right now, about 6 to 7% of new cars sold are electric. The year before, it was about 3%. So while the adoption rate is going up, the vast majority of cars are still gas-powered cars. So if we switch over to 50 or 60% or more of new cars being all electric, where will the grid capacity come from? And I'm talking about the electric grid. So here in the Pacific Northwest, there's talk about removing dams to help salmon get up rivers where they can't because they're blocked by the dam. Noble cause, of course, but the problem is those dams generate electricity. If you take that away, what are you replacing it with? Yes, we have wind farms here in Washington, down near the Columbia River, in southeast Washington, in central Washington. There's multiple wind farms for electricity. But if you start removing a lot of dams, you're not going to have as much grid capacity. So the question is, where is this all going to come from? Is it going to come from solar? Are people going to be charging up on their solar during the day at home? So there's a lot of issues that need to be resolved, and the grid capacity is a big one. Now, what about other unforeseen problems? Well, I look at this and I think people who are at the lower end of the economic scale, you know, they're really going to be impacted by high-priced electric vehicles if that's all that's available. Now, maybe there's this assumption that over time the price of EVs will go down, but the pandemic has shown that car manufacturers are really excited about making a ton of profit on their most profitable models and not building the lower-end, cheaper cars. They don't make as much money. It takes just as much to sell one. So what are they doing now with the supply chain being a little bit mucked up? Well, they're building more expensive cars because they make more money on those, okay? That process with EVs is not going to help people at the lower end of the economic scale. Here's another problem. Where do the old batteries go? What are we going to do with the stuff that's inside when these things are worn out? And who takes them apart? Is that something we're going to do here in the U.S.? Is it going to be done in some third world country? Are we going to pollute some other country with our battery leftovers? And then there's this whole notion of bad actors who might take down a power grid. You've got some crazy people just recently who've been going around shooting up electric substations around the country for whatever reason. Uh, they're crazy. They're bored. Uh, they need target practice. I don't know. But, you know, it doesn't take too many of those dumb things happening to take the power grid down. And then, you again, you're at a lack of capacity. So these are all kinds of unforeseen problems. And it just seems like it would make more sense to pace the switchover from gas vehicles a little bit more thoughtfully, I would think. And that's why, in my opinion, I think it makes more sense for manufacturers to focus on creating hybrid versions of existing vehicles where you've got a gas-electric hybrid to extend the fuel economy even greater and still make it possible for the car to run on gasoline. So those are some of the issues and problems that we're going to have to deal with before gas-powered vehicles are phased out completely. But the question for you today remains, should you buy an electric vehicle now or should you wait? And if you decide to buy an EV now, should you go with something used or something new? Well, let's start with the idea of buying a new electric vehicle. So when you look at it on face value, electric vehicles are still expensive. Again, they're about sixty to 62000 on average. Now, you could go with a used electric vehicle and say a two to five-year-old EV is still expensive, about thirty to $35,000 for, say, a Tesla Model 3, for example. But that's still kind of spendy. A lot of the cars that I promote here on the show tend to be under $20,000, OK? 
kind of between ten and 20000 So if you're in that price range, you're really looking at used electric vehicles that don't have the kind of range and capability that would make them great as your only car. Now, I'll be honest here and say that I don't think it's a great time to buy an EV. In fact, if I was going to buy something like that and I wanted to buy something new and pay in the thirty dollars to $35,000 range, I would look at the new Prius. It's attractive, it's quick, and it gets good fuel economy. And, you know, honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this. And for the longest time, I just made fun of the Prius because it's everything I hate about cars that get good fuel economy but have to look dorky while doing it. Okay? I mean, I'm not like all about style, but do cars with good fuel economy have to look like a dork mobile? Seriously? The very first Prius, Gen 1, was really not that attractive. It, it vied for ugliest car with the Toyota Echo. Now, the Echo went away, so I guess the Prius won. Gen 2, a little bit better looking. Not, not a bad looking car. Kind of meh, but, you know, not terrible. The third generation Prius actually started to look pretty good, and the performance was just okay. You know, 0 to 60 was still around 10 seconds, which isn't anything to write home about. But the car looked fine, and it was just a fine little four-door hatchback. But then Gen 4, come on, Toyota, they got out the ugly stick and started beating that thing about the face, and it just it looked like a flat, smashed bug. They went from something decent-looking to something ugly again. Come on, why? But then... 2023, the new Prius, my wife saw it the other day and she goes, wow, I really like that. I could get one of those. I'm like, you know what? I can't believe I'm saying it, but I could get one of those too. So personally, I think the Prius offers probably the best option for most people. If you want to have some electrification of your drive, get good fuel economy. You're not going to get all electric, sorry, but eventually they'll have a plug-in hybrid. But this is a vehicle that gets 50 miles to the gallon, maybe better, depending on which model you get. And it's attractive. It's not embarrassing. You don't have to give up your dignity to drive one. And they actually accelerate pretty well. Zero to 60 is about seven seconds, maybe a little bit quicker. I mean, that's quick. For a car that gets that kind of fuel economy, hey, I'm in. I'm not buying one, but I would if I was in the market. So that's really my recommendation if you have to have new in a an electrified vehicle, it's not, again, fully electric. It's gas, hybrid. But I would recommend that. Now, another option is to buy an older electric vehicle or what's known as like a compliance EV. Now, a compliance EV would be like the Fiat 500e. Now, that particular car was built to comply with California's standards. Uh, a certain number of cars for every manufacturer had to be, I think, electric. And this is a car that was built on the Fiat 500 chassis. So it looks like a Fiat 500, but they stuffed batteries in everywhere. It wasn't made to be, you know, a 50-state electric vehicle, just California only. And then eventually they sold it in Oregon as well as a new car. But now they're kind of trickling up the West Coast and spreading across the country. So you could pick up one of those. It's not going to have great range. It's going to be maybe 70, 80 miles on a charge. Maybe up to 90. I think the max for that car was 87 miles or just call it 90 miles when the batteries were new. But <laughs> you think about it, most people don't drive that far. But if you had that particular car and you picked it up for, say, you know, $8,000, and that's doable for a vehicle in decent condition, you'd have that car. And then you could take the 12000 remaining on your 20000 and buy a gas-powered car that could take you longer distances. So you'd use your EV around town, 
You'd use it to, you know, go to the store, pick up groceries, short commutes, that sort of thing. And then for longer trips, you take your gas car. Weekends, you're going to go somewhere, you're going to go to the beach, going to go to the mountains, going to go whatever. You can do that. And you end up with two cars. Yes, you pay more for insurance. I get it. But you really haven't made much of an investment. And you've gone electric for a very small price. Now, also, I would recommend looking at the Nissan Leaf, the first generation Leaf. Those cars, over time, the battery starts to... I don't know if the term is wear down, but the range isn't as much. I know somebody who who owns one, and their range is about, oh, about 50, 60 miles now on a charge. You can't go much further than that. But they just use it to go to the store. They just use it for short commutes. That's it. And they bought theirs really inexpensively. I think they paid under $5,000 for it. They're not really attractive cars, but eh, so what? Who cares? You didn't pay much for it. And you could drive that for four or five years run it into the ground, and you've had your electric experience. You don't have to do tune-ups. You don't have to change the oil. You know, you got to put tires on it. Eventually, you'll have to do brakes, but EVs are easy on brakes because there's a lot of regenerative braking. So when you let off the throttle, the car sort of slows down for you. It's what they call one-pedal driving, to a point anyway. So that would be my recommendation to do something like that if you're looking at used. And the other option is just, of course, to bag off and not buy an EV at all for now. Just stick with some gas-powered car and go with that. Now, that's what I'm going to do. You know, but at some point, I might do the mixed small EV for short trips, used, cheap, and then use my gas car for longer trips, weekends, that sort of thing. Now, are there any other options? Well, this one's kind of crazy, but I'll bring it up. So you could dip your toe into the electric vehicle waters by not getting a car, You keep your gas-powered car, gas-powered truck, whatever it is. But for some of your shorter trips, if you live in a place where you can go one or two miles to the store on a bicycle, you could get an electric bike and go electric, so to speak, and use that as a way to get around. Even if you live in a place that's got some hills that, you know, maybe you wouldn't normally want to ride a bike, you could do that. Now, my only caveat is people in cars are putting on makeup, eating a hamburger, lighting a cigarette, reading their texts. They're not paying attention. And they're kind of dangerous if you're on a bike. I used to ride a road bike up until about, it's probably been about 10 years now. I stopped riding on the road. I still have mountain bikes. I still go do that sort of thing. But I won't ride on the road anymore because I had an incident where I was on a sidewalk. I was moving about, I don't know, five miles an hour. I was clipped in to the pedals and I looked at a guy who was coming up to a street, and I had I had the light to go. And I, the reason I was on the sidewalk is I was fed out onto this particular sidewalk from a trail, from a bike trail. And so I had to be on the sidewalk. It didn't make sense to go across the street and ride in the bike lane. Anyway, I'm about to cross this intersection. And I again, I had the light, had the walk signal and everything. The guy looks at me. I look at him. I give him sort of the eye signal with my fingers, like, do you see me? I see you. He's staring at me. He doesn't shake his head yes, but he's looking right at me. And so I start to go, and then he starts to go. So I had to grab a big handful of brake. The front end washed out. I fell down, hit my ribs on the curb, and I ended up breaking a couple of ribs. And the guy, you know, starts to go. He rolls his window down, kind of slows down. He goes, it's not my fault, and then just squeals his tires and drives away. I was so pissed off. I was like, what are you doing, you moron? It is your fault. No, he didn't hit me, okay? But he 
caused the whole thing to happen. Anyway, it's not like I was going to sue the guy or anything, but I was just pissed. And this was the beginning of a like a 20-plus mile loop uh, that, that I was going to ride. And I was so mad and so like jacked up on adrenaline that in spite of the broken ribs, I still rode the whole loop about 10 minutes faster than I'd ever ridden it before. And even coming back, like the last mile, I was in some real serious pain, but I even almost got hit again, like in the last mile of it. So that was really my last ride. I just sort of said, you know what? This is too dangerous. I'm going to end up a dead man trying to stay healthy. It's not It's not worth it to me. So that would be my caveat. Getting an electric bike could be kind of cool. And if you live in a place that you feel like it's safe, then great. It's a way to put your toe in the EV water without going whole hog and buying an electric car. But I'd say watch people when they drive. They spend way more time staring at their phone than they do watching for bikes. So caution to those who'd like to live a long life. So there you have it. If you're thinking of buying a new electric vehicle, don't. They're too expensive. Wait until the prices come down, and in the interim, buy something like a used Tesla Model 3 for thirty dollars to $35,000 that has longer range between charges and gives you access to Tesla's more reliable supercharger network. Or, for those of you who just have to have a brand new fuel saver, I recommend the 2023 Toyota Prius. It looks great, finally. It has solid acceleration, finally. And it combines electric assist with a gas motor for 50 miles per gallon or better with zero range anxiety. But for the truly frugal weirdos like me, my real world this is what I would do recommendation is a twofer where you pick up a first generation Nissan Leaf or a Fiat 500e for your weekday commute. Then you back that up with a fun gas powered vehicle for weekend adventures and longer trips. For inspiration, I would check out episode 30 on the Infiniti FX45 SUV. It has a V8 and it drives like a sports sedan, so it's great. Or maybe episode 27 on the Jeep Wrangler TJ. It's a Jeep. It's a Wrangler. What more do I need to say, right? Or maybe episode 23 on the BMW 335D for diesel sports sedan. It's rear-wheel drive, it handles great, and it has 425 pound-feet of torque. Nothing more needs to be said. And all of those internal combustion vehicles pair perfectly with a cheap, short-range used EV like the LEAF or the 500E. And with that, thanks for listening to this week's episode. And until next time, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.